Amen. All right, so this morning I wanted to, well, we'll see how it comes off. I wanted to try something really different, and I have to give a shout out to Nicole Porter. Raise your hand if you'd like her to come. No, just kidding. She told me, don't make me come on stage. Uh, There was a lot of hands that went up, Nicole. I'm just saying. Um, Give the people what they want. No, um, Nicole, we've had a few conversations, and we're chatting about, like, doing sermons and you know, I, and it's not the first time I've heard that kind of feeling that people go, oh, I, could, I couldn't do that. I couldn't get up and do that. Or, you know, I haven't trained for that. Or I'm just too shy. Or I wouldn't know what to say. Or another one that I hear very common is no one wants to listen to me and my mess. But you saw this morning that the majority of people in this room said, actually, I'd rather listen to someone that was authentically sharing from what happens in their life. So what we're going to do this morning, let's hope it works, sermons. I don't always use this, but this is a really easy way to construct a sermon, a little formula. And so I'm going to explain one step of the formula, and then I'm going to show you it um, and do my sermon for you. Then I'll pray up do the next step, and then demonstrate it to you. So what should happen by the end of today, everyone here will have seen it and had it modelled to them. And then so as you walk out, I'm just being prepared to be inundated with people that want to go on my speaking roster for 2024. So I'm really excited about that. Sharing our testimonies is something that I think should be regularly included in our worship. It's inspiring to hear how God has made a difference in other people's lives. So today, when I demonstrate what I do, I'm going to share with you my story, a part of my story. Some of you will have heard parts or most of this story before, and if you have, then I want you to concentrate on how could, what, what part of my story could formulate a message like this. But first of all, I'm going to, I've lost a wheel Neil, it's wonky. Okay, it's all good. All right, so I'm going to get Neil, and Neil, if you can get a couple of people to help you, I'm going to give you a a handout. This has how I do my sermons. Now, I did not make this up. This comes from a book called Communicating for Change by Andy Stanley, North Point Ministries. So this is not the only way. It's just one way. And if you learn how to do this, what happens is you'll have things that happen in your life and you'll be like, oh my goodness, that's a good illustration. That leads right into that Bible story. I could do this too. But the really special part about this is when you turn it over the other side and take it home part, that is blank, ready for you to fill in and construct your own story, ready to share it with Refresh next year. Now, along with this, if you don't have a Bible with you today, you don't have one of your own or, and really want one, just wave it, Neil. We've got some for you. He can give you one. You can write your name in it and you can take it home. So just wave it, Neil, if you would like a Bible. Uh, and then we will get started. Let me pray again. Father God, as we open up your word this morning, I ask that you will be real and alive that we will see you at work and it will remind us of you being at work in our own lives and give us the courage to share that. 
in your name, amen. So, this is the structure. If you're going to start a sermon, then obviously you're going to go, well, what am I going to talk about? What? And the whole idea of coming up with that, sometimes you might be given a topic, uh, so then, you know, you might even be given some material, but if you're basing it on your testimony or a part of your story, then obviously you're going to go, well, what's my main point going to be? What am I going to talk about? Because put your hands up if you have been in a sermon where you like, this person either has no point or there's about 60 points in here, and I'm not sure which one to follow. It happens. So pick your main point. What is the issue that you want to seek God's wisdom on? How is this issue relevant to other people? Is it just me? Probably not. Other people might have this same issue as well. What is the one thing that I want people to walk out of my sermon knowing and understanding and fight the temptation to have more than one? One point that's catchy and easy to remember is really, really helpful for you. So this is, okay, this is how we start. So now I'll show you mine for today. Hang on, it didn't. All right, my main point. I think that we often lose sight of where God is. And I would love for people to know that God is still at work and active. It's easy to look around the world at the moment and think, oh, is God really you know, is he really still working? So this is what I'm thinking of while, before I even start writing. I think everyone has doubts. I've heard my friends talk about them. I've heard my family talk about them. But I do think that God's still at work, and I'd like people to know that, even when it doesn't feel like it. So how can I convey that to other people? I think God is still up there sitting on his throne, reigning sovereign, and I want people to be reminded of that. And I want people to know that your testimony of God's goodness is so powerful in someone else's life. So that's what I want you to know. And my one main point, my one line that I want you to walk out of here today with, to be thinking about, is where do you see God at work? So that's all my background to the sermon that we're going to do this morning. And then the next step is... When you get up the front, you want to introduce it to the people in the audience. Introduce your dilemma or a problem or your truth or a situation that you are either currently facing yourself or have faced in the past or that you see a collection of people facing. You're like, hang on, this is something that's really real for everybody. How do I struggle with this? Communicate that. How do I struggle with this? Provide stories or examples from your life. And then the whole idea is in this orientation section is we establish a connection. I can show you that for me to speak on this is logical and authentic because I'm sharing with you that I have experienced it. And you can see that it's something that I've looked at, something that I've experienced, walked through, and then tell your story. Now, there's a big difference between telling your story and telling about your story. If I was going to tell about a story about a man going to the bank to get his last $1 to buy 
a McDonald's flake cone. I could, to tell about it, I could say, yeah, there's this story, there was this guy, he didn't have much money left and he went to the bank and like he got his last dollar and he spent it on McDonald's. So I'm telling you about the story. But it's not that exciting. If I was going to tell you the story, then I could say something like, it was raining outside and felt to him like it was on the inside too. He had watched his financials become lower and lower and lower. It's like he was drowning in debt. And as he walked out of his house that day, he knew he was walking to the bank with his final dollar. McDonald's. And there was, see, there's a difference if I tell you the story rather than telling you about the story. Each detail that you put in your story is like a hook that you guys, your audience, can connect with, make an emotional connection with. I'm really not good at this. All right, so this is my sermon. This is my orientation. Have you ever felt ripped off? I'm an absolute lover of a bargain. Most of the things that I buy are from the second-hand store or like I really love TK Maxx. It's winner, winner. If you've not been there, I feel like it's my pastoral duty to escort you there. So just click on connect with the pastor and, and we'll have a visit there. But have you ever felt ripped off? I hate feeling ripped off. There was a time in my life where I think as teenagers at school, you have like little things where you're ripped off by a friend, you know, that person's dating the boy that you really like, or you feel ripped off because you did your best in your assignment, but like, why is the teacher only giving you a C? That's a rip off. They haven't read it like, you know, or um, my parents, I opened up my birthday gifts and there was like one thing off my list, not all five, ripped off unfair. I don't like it. But what makes hurt, what makes unfair really like even more difficult is when un, you feel like unfair has been dealt by someone that you love and you trust. That's when unfair and ripped off really hurts. In 2006, we were living in Newcastle. Neil was the associate pastor at Walls End Church. And we'd just finished doing big camp there. So Neil was working at big camp. And I was just like, ever, like lugging children, um, little boys, little Redman boys through big camp. And uh, we'd, we'd gotten home. So all the tents had been demolished. Neil had spent a little bit of extra time there. And we, he was exhausted and I was exhausted because he's so busy at camp, I was basically like this single mum with these little kids. Boys' beds in their bedroom. It wasn't our bedroom. And I could see there was something inside of me that felt Neil wasn't really happy. It's, something's not quite right. And our Lachlan, it was, uh, our Lachlan was about to start school the following year. And I just had this, I'm not sure... Something's not quite right. And Neil was asleep beside me, and I remember saying, you know what, God? If this is not where you want us to be, if you have a different plan for us, if you have a different space, a different ministry in mind for us, then please show us, and show us quickly, because we're enrolling Lachlan into school for the next year. Turns out, randomly, next day, Neil's out 
I get a phone call from Kingsley Wood. Is that right? The right name? And he says, hey, Sarah, is Neil home? And I'm like, uh, no. Oh, I really need to contact him. I just want to talk to him about an option for next year. And I'm like, hang on a minute. Maybe God does listen to me. And I, I, I said to Neil, Kingsley Wood is going to call you back. Like, maybe. Like, and I said, Neil, I actually prayed that God would give us something different if that's what he wanted. And he was like, you prayed? Sarah. <laughs> and so I remember then, he, then Neil got the phone calls and they went into, you know, kind of chatting about things. And eventually Neil got called to the Victorian conference to be the youth director, the associate youth director down there. And it was so clear to me that that was God's direction. I'd asked for his help and, and it, it was just abundantly clear. Lots of things fell into place. We went down there, we bought a house really quickly, everything worked really well and we just, you know, it was awesome. God was very clearly at work. And then we had Joshi our fourth baby down there. And after having Joshi, I got postnatal depression really bad. And there was a long time there that I was like seeking the right help, doing the right things, and nothing seemed to work. I had gone from this primary school kind of play school mom where everything at home was like, it was like a classroom, little label drawers, the toys were all set to physically when my Cooper would come home from prep and bring me his reader. He would walk in so proud, walking up with this little face. And as, as he would draw near me, I would just have this growing sense of, Ugh. I can't be near you right now. And I would send my little boy away. In fact, I would send them all away. Things had gotten so bad that I had lost my ability to be their mum. A role that I really treasured was really important to me. And I was doing all the right things, but nothing was changing. And I only went there. We only went there because God had called us to do it. And I felt ripped off, ripped off to the maximum. Where was he? After you introduce your topic, what you're talking about, your story to the people in the congregation, sorry about it, <laughs> I moved away, you have to then find common ground with the audience, like, because that's my story, but how might those feelings relate to you? So find common ground with the audience around a similar problem or dilemma. Build bridges between us so that you, I know that you know where I was at and we can feel it together. And engage as many as you can, depending on who's in the room. A mum might be in the room. How can you relate that to her? There might be empty nesters in the room. How can you relate that? A teenager, a school person, a 25-year-old. How can I get everybody on the train so that we can go in the one direction together? Invite the audience to see themselves in your message. Sharing stories or to statistics can help you speak directly to your audience. This is the time, this is the part where I think we often skip over and miss. And so we've got a heap of people in our audience going, I know she's speaking, but like, 
I'm not on that train with her. I'm not listening. So this is a part of a message that it's crucial for you to engage people in. You want to pick everyone up from every station before we move forward to the point where you almost want to overdo this so people just go, okay, we know, we want to know what you're going to tell us. Hurry up already. Move on. That's kind of where you want the audience to be. Now, let me preface this. I don't always get this right. This is like a theory that we just all try together. All right. So I imagine, like, when I share my story, you might not have had postnatal depression. You might not have felt like God was calling you to somewhere. But I don't doubt that every single person in this room would have had a time where they have felt let down. And I would... I think that probably most of us have had a time where we felt left, let down by God. It could have been that you were praying for someone for a really long time, but yet it just looked like God wasn't intervening at all, and bad upon bad kept on happening, and it just seemed like God wasn't listening it could have been that you were praying for something. You had a longing for or bless your family with, but it wasn't happening. And there's those moments where you feel ripped off and unseen by the God that we've been taught sees everything. It leads us to believe that we've been abandoned by God. It's like he stopped listening. And there's that eternal question that I hear all the time people say, if God is so good, then why isn't he good to me? My son or daughter, back to church. If God is so good, why didn't he heal that? Why are we now grieving? If God is so good, why can't I just make sense of this stuff in class? It's so hard for me. Everyone else seems to get it. If God is so good, why can't he send me a partner? Doesn't he see my loneliness? I think so many of us have experienced that kind of feeling. And it leads us to abandon God because we feel like God has abandoned us. I know for me down in Melbourne, I remember the time that I said to Neil, that is, I'm so done with God. I've tried. I've tried everything. I've faithfully prayed. I've told other people to pray for me, but you he's not healing me. It's getting worse, and I am so incredibly done to the point where I said to Neil, you know what? You're a church pastor. I know what I have to look like. My dad was a pastor. My mum's a pastor's wife, so, you know, I'll look it. I'll say the right words for you out of respect for you, Neil, but I don't want anything to do with God ever again. In fact, I don't even want to speak to him. And then Neil threw in that moment, um, you do know he knows what you're thinking. And I'm like, oh, damn, now I'm mad. Like, I was ignoring him, but now I'm ignoring him and I'm angry. And I think so many of us together collectively have gone, we can relate to those feelings. We understand that. We have seen that in our own lives. And so then we move on to, well, what does God have to say about this? Like, can we hold him accountable here? Can you give us some answers? What do we do in these moments? 
The next step is to move from your story, from connecting to everyone else, and then work out what does God have to say about this? And there's a, little bit, there's a little bit of a trap here. Sometimes we can just go looking through our Bible and go, right, I'm looking for the word disappointed, and I'm just going to whip out all of the verses that say disappointed. And we can sometimes produce pieces of Scripture that are out of context, that not, it's not really what they were intended for. So the whole idea is to point them to God, discover what God has said about this, or a story where, where you have seen someone else go through something very similar in the Bible and how God responded in that space. And by bringing that story to life, we bring fresh understanding about that story. Now, exegesis is a process of studying a passage of Scripture, one passage of Scripture, and finding the true meaning behind it. Not rewriting my own meaning over the top of it because the words match what I want to say. It's going, actually, what did this Scripture mean when it was written? When it was written, how did the people around it respond to this? And what can we learn from that? Turn the passage into the living Word of God. In Luke chapter 7, if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7. This is just, I never knew this story when I would describe as walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's how I remember my time in Melbourne. And I'd never heard this story before. And then once I heard it, I'm just like, oh my goodness. This is insane. Like, I get this. I get what's happening here. And this has given me something that I can understand and move forward with. So Luke chapter 7, and we're going to read from verse 18 down to verse 23. So John's disciples, we're talking about John the Baptist. John's disciples told him about all these things. So the context, the, what's happening before is Jesus is healing people. He's brought a woman's son, a widow's son back to life in uh, Nain. And word has got around that Jesus is doing amazing things. And when we start here, we see John the Baptist's disciples coming to him while John the Baptist is in prison. So that's the setting of this story. So John's disciples came to John the Baptist, who is now in prison, and said all these things, meaning, my goodness, Jesus is doing amazing things all around. He, uh, John's disciples told him about all these things. And he calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to these messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So John's in prison, and if you want to have a look why he's there, just flick on back to Matthew 14. 
Matthew 14, and we'll start at verse 3. It says, Now Herod, the king at the time, had arrested John and bound him and put him into prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. John was telling the king, Oh, this is not right. You should sort your household out. Like, this is against God. This is wrong. You should sort yourself out. And the wife of Herod's like, oh, Excuse me, how dare you? tell me that I shouldn't be with who I am. Like, we're the king and queen, essentially. You get no say. And she didn't want anyone to kind of have a look and cast judgment on the situation that she was in. So her theory was like, let's get rid of John the Baptist. Like, he's causing us trouble. Let's silence this guy. But the king, everyone thought that you know, acknowledge widely that John the Baptist was a prophet. And if he just knocked him off, then that's going to look bad. And people are going to get restless. So he puts him in jail. At this particular jail, he's actually in jail below the castle. So he's in close proximity um, to like the palace um, where they live. So this is John. He has found himself in prison. If you go back to my notes, Clayton. And the disciples, uh, his disciples come to him and, you know, he's like, what's going on? This is everything that God's doing. You know, he's in a cell, he's starving for knowledge. So he's like, what's going on? And they tell him everything that is happening, all the miracles that Jesus is doing. And what do you think comes to mind in John's life? Hang on, well, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing. He's raised people to death from the dead. Like, he knows I'm in prison, right? Like, we're family, like, how can all these amazing miracles be happening, but yet he's not fixing mine? Like, how can he still be? I don't get it. And what happens is in that moment, John can't see past his cell into the outside world. And that's what happens to us too. Pain shrinks our world to the size of the cell that we are currently in. And we start to lose a bit of perspective. We all of a sudden feel that, you know, we, he's not working for us and we're all alone and we've been abandoned. And this is the very thing that John felt like. He couldn't see that God was, Jesus was making a difference to him and he all of a sudden, his world got really, really small. My world got really, really small too. And I had looked and looked and looked as I had been raised to look and see God my whole entire life. And I couldn't find him. I couldn't see him anymore. I would pray and, and it didn't work. So I just stopped. And there was no light. And there was no life left. There was so much disappointment and hurt in my life. I wanted to just go, come on, 
I've grown up with the stories where you can walk into someone's house and, and they, you just raise them for the dead. Actually, I know the story that you're walking through a crowd and all that lady had to do was reach out and touch your garment and she was healed. But I've been crying to you. I've been pleading with you for months and months and months. Why isn't something happening? Are you really who you say you are? Do you really have the power that calmed the seas and parted the waters and stopped the storm? Or were they just stories that I grew up with? As a kid? Are you really that person or not? The only thing for me that made a difference, that kind of allowed God a little doorway back into my life, and at times, I'll be really honest, it made me really cross, I could look out and see that God was still a work in other people's lives. And I'm like, well, I can't deny that you are there, but why aren't you there for me? It's so painful. I feel abandoned. What is going on? The story is incredible. Well, go back. John the Baptist, um, and, and I love, well, I actually would never want to be one of those disciples, right? You have Jesus doing all these amazing things. You've seen it. You've witnessed. And then John the Baptist says to you, um, can you just go and ask Jesus if, you know, is he who he is or is he like just a bit dodge? Is he just faking it? I feel like I would be one of those disciples and you'd be, the two of you would be walking along and you'd be going, you ask him. I'm not asking him. You ask him. He's going to think I'm asking this. I don't want him to think I don't know who he believes in. You ask him. It's an awkward question to ask. But John the Baptist's question was just the same as mine. More so, mine was the same as his. You know what? You're doing all this good. Is it real? Are you doing, like, are you who you say you are? And so they go and they ask the question, are you who you say you are? But the funny thing about this question, if you know anything about John the Baptist, you very well know that he knows who Jesus is. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter 1 and verse 39 to 45... You, we actually get introduced to John the Baptist while he's in the womb of his mother. And it says, At that time, Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, got ready and hurried to a town. So she had Jesus in her belly as well. Elizabeth had her. John the Baptist in her. They were both pregnant. Uh, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb, John the Baptist, the baby in my womb, leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. 
when he was like a, a tiny baby inside his mother's room, he heard Jesus' mother's voice and something inside him was like, I know who this guy is. Like, I'm going to do a black fit in the womb to just show you I really know. The whole fiber of his being knew who Jesus was. In fact, he'd spent his whole entire life heralding the way for Jesus to come. Of course he knew who Jesus was. But it just goes to show us that, like us, pain, disappointment, and heartache, and unanswered prayers from our point of view can shrink our world. But what's the solution? I feel like John the Baptist's disciples were like, all right, we'll go to God, we'll go to Jesus. Surely, you know, he'll call on God the Father and he'll do something really amazing and John will get out and it'll be really, really good. So they go to Jesus, they make the question and Jesus' response is, I just want you to go back to John and tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. Like, I feel like they were expecting, okay, go back at six o'clock tonight once the sun's gone down. Gather six of your men, get a big rope, get a horse, and we're going to bust him out. Synchronize your watches. But that's not what happened. And that wasn't the answer that these two disciples got. In fact, the whole sum of the answer was to go back to John the Baptist and because he's lost perspective and because he's lost sight of how good God is because his cell has shrunk his world, we want you to be his eyes. We want you to deliver the good news that God is doing. We want you to, I want you to tell him to see where you have seen God at work, report it. Tell him what's going on. Lame, blind, people raised to life. Go and report back to him. Give him pers perspective. Help him to understand that I am still at work. And this is the part where I wanted so much to block God out of my life because I felt so ripped off and hurt by him. I did not want to see him at all anymore. He wasn't working for me. And so when I would actually see people come into my life and, you know, like a lady that took my children to school every day for me, I'm just like, I can't deny that God's at work. Look what she's doing. That's God at work. And so when I want to just move away from God, this was just a little opening that allowed me to refocus on who he was and his goodness. And that's what Jesus asked the disciples to do. That's the passage. It's an amazing story. And you could actually leave that passage there, but then there's a little added extra that I think makes it seem even better. As Jesus had finished answering these disciples, they're getting ready to go back and deliver their message to John. And all of a sudden, I can imagine as these disciples are asking the question, the crowd is going, hang on, they're asking, hang on, they're asking about John. That's John the Baptist's disciples. They're asking questions. What's the question they're asking? It might be really important. And so they all lean in to hear, what is this question that John the Baptist is asking? And then they hear the question. And it's like the question from a prophet that we have followed, that we have known, and he's doubting? 
whoa, what, like, how do we deal with this? And I think, I imagine that Jesus hears these whispers through the crowd of people going, well, hang on, that was a really weird thing for a prophet to say, like, so is he, is he not? What about John the Baptist? Has he just gone, like, been in that cell for too long? He's like, woohoo, is that what's going on? And all this talking erupts about John the Baptist. And Jesus stands there with authority and says this. After John's messages left, it's verse 24 in Luke 7 again, Jesus began speaking to the crowd about John. What did you go? And he says to the crowd, you know, you all followed him. You guys went out in the wilderness to see him. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Like some loony crazy man? Of course you didn't. You went out there to see him because you believed he was a prophet. And he says, I can tell you that. He is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will, be prepare, who will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. And that's amazing news for you and I because John had cast doubt over who God was. And then Jesus says, you know what? Don't be questioning him. He's in a really tough place right now. In fact, this guy is an amazing guy. He has done so much. Don't be thinking because he has doubts that he's not worthy. Don't be thinking because he has doubts that he's lost his way. We all do that. So how can you apply that to you? When you read scripture, you can just read a story and go, yeah, that was a really nice story. And then you can leave and you go, oh, yay, we heard the Bible today. That's really fun. But I don't think that's what the Bible was designed for. I think the Bible is there because we want to make it living and breathing and active. And we want it to actually change our lives. And the cool thing is that when you read a passage from the Bible and then make a tweak to how you think, how you behave, what you say, then the Bible has just changed you. It's got that power. So how can we apply things is such an important part of when we speak our story. Challenge the audience to act on what they've just heard in the Bible. What's out your one application point that everyone can embrace? And a simple, uncomplicated one makes it so much easier to remember, like we said before. Give a measurable goal. Make it easy for people to, put, to apply, to put in practice what you've been talking about. Encourage them to try it maybe for a week, maybe for a few days, maybe for a month. Get a partner to do it with you. Make the application really, really easy. So what are your doubts? I've had mine. John had his What things do you doubt? What are your unanswered prayers? What are your heart's desires that you believe that God would give to you, but he hasn't yet, and it feels like he's abandoned you? What's shrinking your world to a really small cell size that is making you lose perspective of the goodness of God? What is it? Name it in your head. What circumstances in your life is it hard to see God at work? You might see him here, but why isn't he touching this point of my life? I can't deny that you're there, but why isn't he touching this point? 
And I think there's something really special about what Jesus did to John. He just sent people back into his life to go, when you lose hope, share their faith. I'm going to send some people that are going to come into your space and go, I know you can't see God at work, and that's okay. There's been other people in the Bible before that just doubt whether he's, he's good or not. It's okay. Your doubts are okay. But do you know what? I'm going to faithfully report to you that God is still working. I'm going to share what I see. I'm going to share what I've heard. Be open to God bringing those people into your life. And be humble enough to allow yourself to share their faith. There are times when we just feel like we don't have enough. And I have leaned on other people so many times where I've gone, I just don't feel like God's here anymore. And people have said to me, it's okay, I know he is. You share my faith. You share my strength in this time. And they have reminded me to look back and remember where God has been with me in the past. Look back and remember. Remember when you're at university. Remember when God brought your partner into your life. Remember the circumstances of when you got your first job. And no, God was there. I can't deny that. So look back and remember the goodness that he has bestowed on you in the past. And then look out from where you currently are and reflect of him working on other people. And that's difficult sometimes because we do shut ourselves out. But look around and see God at work. Recognize that he's there. Actually ask him to say, hey, I find it hard to see you. Can you open my eyes? Can you remind me to keep looking for you? Can you help me recognize when it's you? at work so that I can just believe that you are still there? Practice where you see God at work. I hope that one, this has changed my life. It brought me out of the darkest place in my life. And I hope that one day when I die and they give me this beautiful fancy, you know, stone, it says, the one that never stops asking, where did you see God at work? Because it is practice where you see God at work. And the other thing you can do is ask God to help you doubt your doubts. When you have those feelings of, are you real? Do you really care? Tell him you're having them and say, help me doubt these. Help me to squash them down. Help me to understand. This is the part where the Bible has changed you. So for you, you know what? Practice doing God at work. Practice being a person that reports to other people. And that's between you and God. That's the you part and your relationship with God. But then I think there's this last section where you move people from thinking it's not just about individuals in this congregation where you cast a vision for what if we all did this? What would our home look like? What would our marriages look like? What would our families look like if we all collectively did this? 
What would the world look like if we adopted a practice like this, learned from a story like John, and changed our community as a result of it? To inspire people to try what you have just read. I remember the night (coughs) where I had had enough. I remember we would go to bed every night. We made this rule when we first got married that we would go to bed at the same time and Neil goes to bed early and gets up early and I like going to bed late and getting up late. And so, but we, we made this pact. So we'd go to bed together at the same time and I would just read. Um, but when I, I got really, really sick and every day was just so difficult to bear... I remember I would sit in our bed, Neil would be asleep beside me, and I'd sit in our bed and I would refuse to lie down because I knew that if I laid down, that I would fall asleep, and if I fall asleep, fell asleep, then tomorrow would come. And I couldn't do one more tomorrow. I can't do one more day. And I remember the night where I just went, okay, well, I'm not going to do it one more day, so I'm going to make sure it doesn't. And I walked into our our beautiful kitchen that Neil had made for us, and I took uh, some tablets that would make a difference that I'd been given to a doctor. And as I, you know, kind of pressed down, screwed the lid off that bottle in order to ensure that I would never have one more day because I couldn't do one more day, I dropped the lid. And as this tiny ground in my kitchen, it was like an atomic bomb went off in our house. It terrified me. It was this crazy, crazy sound that was so loud, it hurt my ears. And and it was enough for me to go, what the heck? put those tablets away and put them back in the cupboard. And I, I went um, into Neil and told Neil what I was about to do. And we moved. We changed our circumstances. So it's okay. It's a good story. It's a good ending. I'm actually still here. And we moved and um, with a lot of help and, you know, a lot of time to heal, things got better. But there's so many times where even people who have believed in God their whole entire life get caught up in a mess or in a hardship that they cannot break out of. And I remember saying to Neil, this is what's just happened. And I think within two weeks of that happening, we were already moved. We had people come and help us sell our house. Mum and dad, we moved into their garage. We had so many people praying for us. And God and God's people just rallied around us and made such a difference. And even though, uh, you know, a couple of years later, I was still really, like, I was really well and really happy. I, I never thought I'd feel like Sarah Redman again, and I did, and it was so amazing. However, I still just had this little tiny niggly feeling in the back of my mind of, like, you really did rip us off. Like, we both know you ripped us off, right? Like, I'm okay, God. Like, I'll talk to you again. Lucky you. But, like, I still feel a bit ripped. Like, that was dodge, what you did to us. We only went there because you called us. Like, so clearly. I still think you hung me out to dry. Just FYI. 
And then I started volunteering here at North Pine, and I was in the chaplaincy office, and Roger Wareham brought a, a young girl, a high school girl, down to me, and she was distraught, and she, he just brought it into the office. Neil and Simo weren't there, and I'm just like, whoa, what the heck do you want me to do with this? Like, <laughs> I don't know. So I made her a hot drink, and I made myself a hot drink, and I said, well, we're just going to sit on the lounge together. You can drink your hot drink in silence. I'll drink my hot drink in silence. I'm assuming it's awkward for you too, because this is really awkward for me, but okay, we'll just sit here in silence. So we sat there in silence. It felt like days that we were sitting there in silence with tears streaming down her face and me going, where is Neil and Simo? This is not my job. I'm just volunteering. And then she turned to me and said, do you know what it's like to have a panic attack? And I just went, oh my goodness, I 100% do. I 100% know what that's like. And you know what, it's probably nothing that happened this morning, so let's go back for a few days. What's been going on in my eyes? That I was someone that could use the mess in my life as a message for someone else. And it was the very first time that I went, okay, we're okay. I forgive you for what you did for us, what you did to me, I forgive you. And it was an amazing feeling to understand and realize that the mess that was my life for a few years, the mess that had driven me to try and take my own life was now a gift that I could give to someone beside me. And the gift was saying, I know where you're at. And in that moment, she, in her pain, in her cell, didn't feel alone. And I believe that, I believe that not only can we work these things out between God and ourselves, but I believe that God is calling us to go, your mess, the stuff that you want to hide away, the stuff that you think disqualifies you for speaking, disqualifies you for sharing your story, is the very thing I need you to share. You are not the only one going through this. Don't let shame, don't let fear, don't let shyness stop reporting where God was at work in your life because your God at work moments, when they're shared, can save someone else's life. And I believe we're all called to do that. We're called to be the bearers of good news, the bearers of the goodness of God into a world, just look at the news, it's hard to believe that there's a God. Look at what's going on. Hostages being taken, wars in different places, sickness. There's so much negative around us. And I believe that we are called to use our mess and where God steps into that mess to inspire someone else to still believe that God is at work. Work in your life. Where have you seen him in the past? Where do you see him currently? Where do you see him in your friends and your families? Where do you see God at work? And my next question is, as you turn your page over and look at this blank section, make eye contact with it, become familiar with it, the question is, are you willing to share it? Are you willing to say, yes, I will use the mess in my life to become a life-changing message for other people?
and know that he will be with you as you do it. So I'm ready and waiting. If you need my email address, you can write this down now at sarahredman at adventist.org.au. You can lock in your date to preach your story next year. You can do it on your way out today, and that's so fine. But seriously, I want to encourage you to take the time this week to go over parts of your story, parts of your mess And look through the Bible for stories and incidents that are similar where God has made a difference in someone's life and craft it into a life-changing message for someone else. It's not just me who's called to be here. You are too. And don't let your own insecurities stop your story from changing someone else's life. So... What do I want you to remember? Where do you see God at work? And the burning question is, are you willing to share it? Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you so much for stories like John the Baptist that speak so real and truthfully into our own experience. Don't understand why. And we don't understand what you have planned in the future. Your picture is so much bigger than ours. Help us to remember that the here and now is not the sum total of our lives and that you have something so amazing waiting for us and we are all on mission together for that day to bring as many people in to that kingdom. God, give us wisdom and open it us not feeling like you're changing some of our circumstances. Give us the faith to keep going, to remember that we are part of a glorious plan of yours. Give us the courage to commit, to to have a go at sharing our stories and lead us to the people that need to hear your deeds spoken into their life. We love you, God, and we cannot wait to see you face to face and share those moments with you. In your name, amen.